Uh, Jordan, how's it going? It's going what's well. What's up? What's up, Rob? Oh, nothing. Um, I just uh, I got something I got to get off my chest here. Um, what's that? Might be. Yeah, this is a difficult subject. Might be difficult for you to hear, but I feel like you know we're colleagues, we're coworkers, and I think it's about time that I leveled with you about this. Okay. Um, which is well, I'm ready. Which is that I am actually Canadian, and therefore, as you know, the rule that apparently everyone follows—I didn't know about this rule—that you're only ever allowed to comment on news and politics in the country you live in. I had no idea mm-hmm. that this was a rule. A lot of people informed me this week mm-hmm. that this is the case. I saw. I, it was very shy. I was really surprised. I didn't know about this because frankly, a lot of these same people, curiously, I see them often commenting on news stories about Brazil, talking about Lula and Bolsonaro, <laughs> the UK, Israel, Palestine, mm-hmm. other countries. They don't, they, they're not really shy about that despite not living in those places. So I was a little confused by yeah. this rule, but apparently this is the case. So I'm going to have to tender my resignation or whatever. And uh, it's a, unfortunate. It's a sad day. It's a sad day in, in Insurgents podcast history. But Well, let's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> sad, for, sad for you. <laughs> oh, no, I did see that. Is it uh, sad? You know, that is such a... It's sad's relative. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I th- that's like the funniest. I, I always, I always get a kick out of that when I see people who, especially I know, comment on like Canadian politics, like make fun of whichever Ford brother is still alive, or make fun of Pierre Polivier, or uh, ha- had yeah. a lot to say about fucking the right wing, whatever, like the People's Party of Canada when when yeah, that the was trucker they were trying to make that a thing. Yeah. The trucker convoy. Yeah. All these people had takes about all these different Canadian issues over the past couple of years. But like the moment you criticize Sanders, like tepidly, very for tepidly. immediately endorsing Bernie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for immediately endorsing uh, Biden, like minutes after he announces, it's like, shut up. You don't even go here. Yeah. Okay. Well, are we just not going to acknowledge the role the United States government plays in the rest of the world? <laughs> yeah, the world's affairs? exactly. Like this is what, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting really, this has been a couple times now that I've gone through this and I'm, I honestly, I'm getting a little bit tired of it. Um, how there's these people who are, I guess like, you know, they're leftists, they're progressives or social Democrats or whatever they want to call themselves. But the moment, someone from outside America, you know, says something that they don't like immediately this like chauvinism or nationalism or American exceptionalism just bubbles right to the surface. And they take this super defensive attitude. Um, I just find it really bizarre. And it's like, it's, you know, I think people really need to fucking get over themselves, frankly. Like if you live in the global hegemon that, you know, has dominated the entire globe culturally and economically and militarily for my entire lifetime guess what people from around the world are going to comment on what's going on in your country you know just fucking deal with it it's just get over it you know like you said when people criticize if people want to talk about canada you want to criticize justin trudeau or talk about the trucker convoy or talk about canada being a fake country that's basically a resource extraction colony it's basically run by several corporations you know what i say Okay, good. Like, yeah, I agree. Well, go for like, it. Yeah. Go for it. I Who don't cares? care because I don't have this like <laughs> chauvinistic, nationalistic mentality. Um, and like, yeah. I, I do get that there are very annoying Canadians. Like, I will say this there are some very annoying Canadians that do kind of have this mentality and never really talk about what's going on in Canada and fixate obsessively on American politics. And I get why that's annoying and I find it annoying too, but. Anyone that knows anything about the kind of commentary that I do here or elsewhere knows that I'm not one of those people. So, um, yeah, I just find right. that annoying. And just to go back to the tweet that caused this big shitstorm, which I did not think was controversial in any way. Um, I I genuinely like as I sometimes say things that are deliberately provocative to get a rise out of people, but this was not one of those times. I genuinely did not think this was would be interpreted like this or controversial. Just the idea 
uh, talking about Bernie Sanders. Like you said, uh, when Biden announced that he was running, Bernie kind of immediately, someone asked him immediately and said, you know, he kind of shut down the idea that he was going to run and kind of just immediately said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to endorse Biden. And I simply just drew a contrast between Bernie's rhetoric uh, in early 2020 when it really seemed like he was cruising to the nomination about taking on the Democratic Party establishment and the, and the Republican establishment and how they're going to win and kind of pointing out like, well, it turns out that wasn't really the case. And, you know, it's pretty fucking depressing. You know, there is a, there is a lot of people around the world that uh, I think were drawn to Bernie precisely because, you know, they understand how important the United States government is and thought that Bernie was someone that could maybe do something to claw back some of the immense power that these special interest groups hold, or maybe kind of like steer America in a better direction, which benefits the whole world. You know, there's a lot of people around the world that were, that were really inspired by that. And it's just disappointing. And I wasn't even saying in this tweet, I think Bernie should run, you know, as people pointed out, he's 81 and, you know, I don't even think really think that he should. I'm in fact, I'm not even really surprised that he did endorse Biden, but I do think it is kind of just disappointing this whole trajectory, how he went from leading this movement this national movement of millions of people uh, that was had so much energy and excitement and had these like establishment media people shitting their pants on live TV going from that to being basically a loyal spokesperson for the Biden agenda. I just think it's kind of depressing. You know, I, I will always kind of really uh, yeah. like and respect Bernie hugely important figure in my sort of political journey. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's sad. It's sad and disappointing. And I didn't think that that's really that controversial of a viewpoint, but people just took this tweet and just projected all kinds of weird shit onto it. Again, they took this kind of like chauvinistic uh, viewpoint of it. It was it was kind of like the bad the, my quote tweets for the bad faith Olympics, and it was it was really annoying. Again, I don't I don't really think what I said was that controversial, and and I think yeah, our um, our American <laughs> friends need to fucking get over themselves. You live in the global hegemon. People around the world are going to comment on that, you know. Just fucking deal with it. It's it's going to be okay. Yeah, I uh, I get why he did it. Yeah, um, he you know they want to shore up progressive support behind him because no one really is going to challenge him. I mean, you have RFK Jr. and you have Marianne Williamson, but that those aren't really like big candidates. They're not going to be like major players. You can have the whole debate about debates and that kind of stuff with them. Like, it all seems very premature. But the strategy, from what I understand, has been just to shore up support so they don't fracture the vote and have people kind of breaking off and splintering the vote in the general. So I, that's why he did it. It sucks uh, because I hear you. He had some really great critiques of the party. He had some really great promises of what he would do and what progressives could and would do. But... That's it. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just it, it's depressing, but l- trying to artificially restrict conversation to Americans only is <laughs> stupid because it ignores the role <laughs> the U.S. government has in the rest of the world. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it ignores that, and and again, no one, no one actually abides by that. And also, I think one one thing that people seem to take issue with was that I was suggesting that like the whole, the entire progressive movement has been destroyed or anything like that, or that there's not like interesting and good people running in like local politics and for mayorships like Brandon Johnson in Chicago and for city council spots and engaging locally like that and using the, using the sort of organizing skills that they owned as part of the Bernie movement. Um, in that kind of journey. And like, I think that's fantastic. You know, I wasn't trying to discount that in any way. Um, but like I said, I think there is sort of a difference between these kind of this, the way this grassroots progressive movement is engaging with these local elections versus this hugely, what felt like for a brief moment, a very transformative, like national movement with millions of people. And all I was really doing was expressing sort of disappointment that Bernie's basically become a loyal mouthpiece for the, for the Biden administration. And you can understand why he's like that and you can make all these arguments, but it still is kind of depressing and disappointing. You know, when I started really being gravitated towards Bernie was because it was when I, like many people around the world, was inspired by Obama's election and really thought that was a moment that America was maybe going to go in this better direction. I became very disillusioned with that, especially because of his foreign policy. 
and Bernie Sanders was really was like a thorn in their side. It was always kind of critiquing them and pushing them to be better. And that seems to be like something that now, even though he's he's really banged the drum for the the good parts of the Biden agenda that were suggested and uh, that they ran on, like the Build Back Better uh, framework. But ultimately, that's it. He's he's sort of a loyal spokesperson for them. Again, I, I get why that is, but it's disappointing. That's all that that tweet was really kind of outlining. I did not think it was controversial, and I thought a lot of the backlash to it was a little ridiculous. <laughs> um, sorry, I got to get so that one stupid. off my chest. I've been holding holding some of that stuff in. Um, <laughs> You know, is, do you have anything less depressing to talk about? Less that's going to make me angry and frustrated? Anything like positive going on, like maybe in your life or anything cool well, going on that you want to talk it depends about? Depends on how you look at it. Yeah, it's all it's all a matter of perspective. But positive, I guess. Yeah, I got I got engaged this weekend. Hey, that's, I think that would fall into the positive category. That's so, that's so great. <laughs> that's so exciting. I saw the pictures on the gram. It was wonderful. It was heartwarming. Oh, yeah, it was. It I'm really was happy awesome. for you. Yeah, it was wonder. What? Thanks, man. It was a wonderful weekend. It's very stressful. Um, yeah. If anyone's been in that situation before, it is uh, very, very nerve wracking in the days and weeks leading up to it, especially if you're trying to do it as a surprise, and especially if you have a significant other who is very inquisitive and questions everything and. <laughs> He's also kind of stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> it's very hard to surprise people like that. <laughs> yeah. But you, no, did but you pull it, was, it off It was though? great. It was awesome. Everything went, went. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I was very excited. Um, everything went well. Like flew, flew her family in uh, from out of town. They were hiding and they had a oh photographer there kind of incognito. And yeah, it all, it all went well. It was great. And it was raining that day, but it, it the rain cleared up before before uh, the big question. So it was it was wonderful, just a really special special moment. That is really special. Yeah, I'm really happy to hear that, and I'm also happy to announce that all the paid interns of this program are invited to the wedding, babies. So if you if you're a paid intern uh, and look in the email, <laughs> you're going to get an invitation for that, and uh, you're going to be flown in, obviously. <laughs> Do I believe On the that's insurgents the plan. company jet? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> We're gonna dip into the petty cash to make sure that the whole the whole family is uh, is involved in that. The whole insurgents family. Yep, yeah, everyone's gone. Paid subs, paid interns. If you go to the insurgents.substack.com, not only do you yeah. get to go to the wedding, you get to give a speech. Yeah, you do. It's gonna be fantastic. <laughs> Some of this, oh, some of so these funny. are subject to change. Some of the things, by the way, I should mention when you do subscribe, <laughs> yeah. some of the perks can change and be altered. Just so everyone's clear on that, not that at that's any time happen, without notice. Yes. Without notice, so <laughs> let's make sure that that's clear as well. Uh, but everyone, please, again, even if you listen to this podcast, despite of my Canadianness and my Canadian ignorance, uh, as I weigh in on these <laughs> topics, that which I. I I'm just so fixated on hockey and cheese or whatever it is that I can't even understand these, 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 uh, these political uh, forces. Even if, in spite of that, if you still enjoy this program, we appreciate it. And if you want to subscribe and get an extra episode each week, and we've had a number of really great bonus episodes, please subscribe. It's five dollars yeah. a month. Theinsurgents.substack.com. That's right. Uh, earlier this week, Kat Abugazale from Media Matters joined us to talk about Tucker Carlson's firing. Very funny, rapid and unexpected ouster from Fox. She helps break that down with us. The week before, Sam Biddle of The Intercept joined us to talk about how the Georgia uh, National Guard is geofencing high schools and trying to serve targeted recruitment ads to kids. But because of their approach, they are definitely going to serve ads to kids under 17. Uh, the week before that, Chris Geidner joined us to talk about Clarence Thomas and his, as that story is still unfolding, all of his various improprieties and the ethics issues with the Supreme Court. Lots of really good episodes just over the past couple of weeks, but you get access to the full catalog. So theinsurgents.substack.com, just five bucks a month, an additional episode every month, and you could help pay for my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, which is the really the most noble goal of all, I think, of the that of, is of any podcast. Crowdfunding a wedding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so let's bring on our guest, uh, Jessica Burbank, of the brand new Funny Money podcast. We had a really great conversation with her um, about this debt ceiling fight and the way that these are, uh, the way that Republicans are trying to um, enforce even greater austerity and some of the most vulnerable people as part of this uh, fight, talking about the nature of economics and uh, how intentionally uh, complex and obfuscated all these, these concepts are and, you know, how important it is to untangle that for people. Really great conversation. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. The death ceiling fight, especially the rhetoric from the right, is so totally bogus. Jessica helps cut through that noise and also helps us better understand monetary theory and macroeconomics as a whole. Her new podcast, Funny Money, just launched. Definitely go subscribe and stick around for this conversation because it was great. Yep. And Jessica Burbank will be joining the Insurgents podcast right after this. Bank, you were saying you are you're you're a Knicks fan. Go Knicks, baby! I am. Yeah. Second round. <laughs> this has not happened That's for exciting. a very long time, like ten years or something. I didn't see any of the reactions. How did New York handle the the win yesterday? Were people climbing up on telephone poles and going going wild? What was what was up with that? Yeah, I didn't see if people were rioting. I've been in Madison Square Garden. It was a, a year where we beat the Celtics, and it was crazy because it was right when like Porzingis got injured and was out for most of the season, and we still won. And it was a lot of cheering and stuff, but it wasn't anything like we'd see in like Philly or something. You know, Philly likes mm-hmm. to destroy stuff. Yeah, they're deranged. Their celebrations are utterly deranged. I was kind yeah. of hoping they would win the Super Bowl just just to see what they would do. It would be the funniest reaction by far. (laughs) Yeah, it would be very funny. The Knicks, we always have this interesting problem of people like Carmelo Anthony, who plays amazing for Team USA, but then in New York, wearing that Knicks jersey, it just does something to you. J.R. Smith partying (laughs) like crazy. We've had so many players that are great come to the team and perform terribly. It seems to me there's there's an issue with like the level of scrutiny that and the level of like media meltdowns that occur with each and every ebb and flow. It seems like you need a unique, uniquely tough personality to be able to operate under that level of, uh, of uh, scrutiny from the media. Yeah. And that's why Julius Randall's great. He's like not super into the fanfare of it all. Yeah. 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 I, I was curious to see how Brunson was going to do uh, in the playoffs. I mm-hmm. kind of grew to dislike him just because I very seldom root for the Knicks and as someone who likes to bet on the NBA, he was very frustrating because he wouldn't pass the ball a lot in, in uh, you know, the waning minutes of a game. Mm-hmm. But God, he's really showed up. That's he showed up that series against the Cavs. It sucks. Mm-hmm. I was rooting for Cleveland, but yeah, yeah he he's, he really put on a show. You tried to convert me to a, into a Cavs guy, and that would have been a disaster. Try you know? yeah. Although I became a Kings guy, and I don't know if that's gonna that's going not so great either. So. It looks like the pendulum swinging the other way in that series. Yeah, who would have predicted the last time we I talked mean, about this? The Draymond strong. thing was the was the the swing moment of the series. The I stomp. know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now Jimmy Butler's taking over Twitter, which I I was not watching the game last night. I saw everyone like Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler, and I was like, what is happening? Oh, the last He's two been games a, for him have just yeah. been spectacular. Yeah. yeah, he's been absolutely fantastic to watch. It's really hard, even though I'm 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 kind of bitter about all the East teams. I don't really like them, but there's a lot of likable players, and it, it's really hard to root against Jimmy Butler right now, especially when you see that level of like taking over these big games and just like how he's he's kind of inherited the mantle from like Michael Jordan and Kobe of the absolute psychopath like uh, winner mindset <laughs> sports guys. It's like you have to kind of you know respect that. Love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. The shot he made at the buzzer in regulation last night. Yeah, ridiculous. overtime in the game. They absolutely they they ended up winning. They came back, tied it on a buzzer beater from him, where he kind of, yeah, he pushed off, but like 
Uh, who cares? It's playoff They're basketball. Not call that, you you want think. that? No, but like catching it midair and just like redirecting his body and his momentum to hit that shot in one fluid movement was spectacular. And then they ended up clinching it and closed the series in overtime. It was so, oh God, it was such a great game. And he put up like, what, 56 the night before? Yeah. The players that, that really show up in the moments of the highest pressure are the most exciting players to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have yeah. like people who are consistent through the entire season. You get to the playoffs and you watch them kind of crumble. Uh, it's yeah. so fascinating. Yeah, it is. It really is what separates the the, the really really good players from the the greats. Uh, the people that can operate under that um, in that environment. Um, really, some pretty bad coaching in that as well. I hope I hope Bucks fans are ready for the Nick <laughs> Nurse experience because that's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be uh, happening. I think that's happening in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But to go, I can't remember which one of you said it. But to go back, I think it might have been Rob. You have to be like a certain type of psychopath to be that good in that high stress of a situation, mm-hmm. and especially when you're like, if you are consistently in that situation and performing, you're just insane. Like I was watching <laughs> clips of the Last Dance. Was it the Last Dance? The Bulls documentary yeah, series yeah. that Netflix did, and I took that person, and they were talking all the. Yeah. All the players reminiscing on Michael Jordan. It's like, yeah, he was an asshole. Yeah, he was a psycho. But goddamn, he could win games. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. yeah, these people are out of their fucking minds. And they're just yeah. really fun to watch and throw a ball through a hoop. It's great. It's awesome. There's a, a name for that psychological condition, Jordan. It's called having that dog in you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, man. well, I remember the story about Jimmy Butler when he was getting out of Minnesota and he was like, he took the 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 bench squad and like took on all the starters and was screaming and talking trash to the owner of the team and just like getting in everyone's face. It's just like, man, this guy's this guy's such a character. It's so hard not to enjoy those antics. I think about it so much because so I was a college athlete. I played lacrosse and I'm not the type of person who can get into a game mindset of like the game is the only thing in the world that matters. And there are some people who are like that. We're like winning is everything. I'll be on the field and be like, you know, we just made this all up anyway. You know, like all the rules are made (laughs) up, but there are some people who are just competitors and psychologically you have to be built different and I'll never understand it. And I wish I could. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of like it. I think Depending on how people who who are like that can compartmentalize that behavior, Mm. I think it's fine. The people that drive me insane (laughs) is when they apply that kind of behavior and mindset to things that truly don't matter or should not be competitive. And I'm also looking in the mirror as I say this and think, like, maybe I don't need to win every game of Fortnite. Yeah, or the people that take that to their that mentality to like their their kids soccer game, <laughs> or their kids soccer game, or their like their team check in with their like copywriter job at the ad agency. It's like you know, calm down, man. I don't. We're just we're talking about like a slogan for hamburgers here. We don't need to get too excited over this, you know. We don't need to. We don't need to crush it, bro. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. man. What's you know, well, this is like the I, first time. In a long time, because I'm a I'm a Raptors fan, and they've been consistently like good to great over the last ten years. And usually in the playoffs, I watch them and I just kind of focus on that. And then once they're once they're out, except for the one year where they won the championship, um, <clears throat> I kind of tune out. And this is the first year in a long time um, that I've just sat I've sat back and just watched the NBA playoffs just kind of passively as a fan of basketball. And it's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's, it's so fun. true. I remember watching like Iowa and LSU and noticing how much people, and you can see it if you like read the narrative around the games, how much people are starting to appreciate a team that plays well together. We spent so much time in sports when I think like TV became a big thing, loving idols and like loving our single players and our stars. And now I think, you know, something's shifting where people want to watch interesting, good team basketball. Not everybody. Yeah. People still love saying, oh my God, Jimmy Butler. And I don't yeah. blame them, but yeah. Yeah. ISO ISO ball is still really fun. I want to, yeah. I want to see, I want to see someone just one-on-one or take on like the entire defense by themselves 
and just perform <laughs> athletic feats that a human should not be able to do. Like that's exciting to me. Yeah, fundamental basketball is good. Dunked on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I want to see shattered backboards. I want to see the NBA Jam style. I want to see the ball catch on fire in your hand. Yeah. I mean, my favorite moment was Angel Reese. I know you saw the highlight of, of Reese with her sneaker, and she blocks the shot. You've seen this, right? Oh, my God. She's tying her that. shoe. It comes off. Ref doesn't see it, doesn't blow a whistle, nothing. They're still in gameplay. Uh, the girl goes to take a shot while Reese is fixing her shoe. While holding her shoe that is off, with the other hand, she blocks a shot. Oh, and talk sad. shit to the other girl. It was that is amazing. Sad. <laughs> it was we so never good. really got into that after the Iowa LSU game, but like yeah, the, the people were acting like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was just mind-numbingly stupid. All these people who, come on, let's admit it, like viewership is lower compared to other leagues. It doesn't mean they're inferior athletes. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that you should also suddenly then go out and be like, well, trans people can't participate. I'm just like, I guarantee that a vast majority of people who are projecting their thoughts onto that post-game, uh, you know, flex did not even watch the game itself. But the reaction to it was so fucking stupid because here's the thing. Sports is awesome and it's even better when you have people flexing on each other. I love it. I think yeah. everyone's innocent. The racial dynamics were insane. And the people totally. that felt the need to weigh in, I don't think looked at all into what the back and forth was because you could see Caitlin's whole thing as she's doing the, you can't see me. And, uh, Reese does it back one time and Caitlin's like, no, like I'm a competitor. Like that's what we do. And it's like, also because it's women, right. We're not expecting this aggressive competitiveness, but also because it was Angel Reese who was black and then Caitlin who is white. And then Jill Biden gets thrown into the mix and it's just, a perfect storm. Yeah. I mean, John Cena himself even weighed in and said he loved that they were doing the "you can't see me" thing. Like throughout the tournament, they were doing it, and then one mm-hmm. one woman on another team does it in the championship, and suddenly it's uh, disrespectful and classless. Was the word that was yeah. thrown around a lot? So well, stupid. The, that racial component always comes in with that kind of thing. Like it's like, oh, I don't go for that kind of hip hop style. Uh, you know, swagger yeah, sports. Totally. Like I prefer my yeah. my you know lantern jawed uh, stoic uh, heroes. But they don't care when these <laughs> these same people to engage in the same behavior. It's so transparent the kind of code words that these sports people use to uh, to describe these kind of incidents. Yeah, they like to throw in the word thuggish. Yeah, right. Imagine if Tiger Woods acted like John Daly on the golf course. Like, can yeah. you imagine blasting cigs? <laughs> like, that would be insane they would go nuts but it's yeah. john daly so they're like ah. <laughs> oh man well uh jessica burbank we're happy to have you back you know last time you were here you did confirm you were a gamer yep. and we proposed the idea of a battle royale style nintendogs that's a game that you played. <laughs> you know, I've been writing letters to Nintendo weekly, still haven't heard back, but I'm really hoping uh, that happens soon. But They're Jessica busy. Burbank, welcome yeah. back to the show. They We're going to get a change.org petition up for this. Um, yeah. But thanks for having <laughs> me back. It's good to be back, <laughs> although our, our work is not done. We're not here to celebrate. No, no. The fight continues. Uh, but I don't <laughs> even know if I should be talking to either of you because... I don't think either of you are on Blue Sky, and uh, I am actually as a Blue Sky oh, we're user. Not worthy. Are you? Are you I on there now? On there, yeah. I'm in there, yeah. Exactly. Oh, so I'm one of goodness the goodness gracious parties over. <laughs> yeah, the party's over. They let they let the Canadians <laughs> in there now. Oh boy. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Burbank, are you, have you been vying for an invite code or? I don't know how this works. I saw people tweeting. uh, You know how I found out about this? Beth Borden tweeted uh, the George Bush meme. A second Twitter has hit the internet. (laughs) And I was like, what is this about? And then I see all of this blue sky, blue sky, give me an invite. And I'm like, what is happening? And so I downloaded the app and then it was like, you need an invite. And I'm like, this all sounds right to me. Makes sense. I don't know what it is, though. Yep. You're like, it's a secret club. We'll tell you yeah, nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've said it's the, the No Burbanks Club. Um, yeah, my whole Twitter for you algorithm, ironically enough, has been like colonized by 
blue sky conversation. So I don't know. It's, it's the same thing. It's like I we've talked about it before. I, when it comes to Twitter, I'm going down with the ship. Um, I'm hmm. probably not going to be migrating to any other platforms, but I thought maybe I would just like carve out a space there just in case, in case the unthinkable does happen and Twitter does eventually just completely implode, which didn't seem possible to me, you know, a year ago, but now it seems a lot more likely. <laughs> so I got a backup plan in place, but my, I do intend to, to stick around on Twitter and until the, until it's physically not around anymore. Yeah, me too. I think it'll be so fun. That's what Twitter Watch, does. When watching the world's it crash back. and burn will be good. Yeah. Yeah. That's like what it's for, but totally. Yeah. But I do Sad. think this out of any competitor, you know, we've had a bunch pop up, Post.news, Spoutable, Substack Notes has their competitor. I do I do mm-hmm. use Substack Notes a bit because it's just the integration, especially for our podcast since it's hosted there, it makes sense. Uh, Mastodon, I never really cared for. But this, this is exactly what people have wanted. Mm-hmm. Make an alternative, make it just like Twitter, and that's it. Just let it be. And that mm-hmm. seems to be what it is. And I seeing the user flow from Twitter to... Uh, Blue Sky has been promising. It's like a lot of the people I already interact with and want to read. So that's made it that that's made it very nice. But I mm-hmm. hope you get an invite co- uh, invite code soon, Burbank. What is that? How does it happen? I don't know somebody. I don't know. You have to you be like have, you have a certain amount of clout. I don't have the cl- the kind of clout to get that that code yet. It, it is mm-hmm. you do get the impression from joining it though that it's been like this little haven for all these like tech guys and now all these like legions of Twitter weirdos are now joining and like interrupting their little yeah. their little space they had going their precious little space with all their shenanigans and nonsense that's kind of funny yeah. I saw someone describe I, it as like a classroom a with now. a substitute teacher that's like totally in over their head that's that <laughs> seems absolutely right yeah. uh, I've had it for a couple of weeks now and like the first couple days i was on it it was all tech people or people who worked there talking about the platform and then a ton of japanese people just like posting pictures of cats and food and it's like oh this is nice nice. i didn't really use it and then yesterday i noticed a bunch of people were flooding it and i opened it last night and it's just a bunch of people that i recognize being like posts here are called skeets now (laughs) (laughs) i'm going with it it's a skeet posts are skeets no, I wasn't sure if that was an official thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's official, yeah. Okay, wow. there are skeets, re skeets, and skeets. Okay. It's better than a re truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, so that better. was always so, lame. So much better. Yeah, you have fifteen new truths <laughs> as you refresh your feed. No. What was the oh Mastodon toots? Yeah, not toots. I'm not tooting. Like, give me a <laughs> fucking break. <laughs> Boost, we boost, boost my toots. Yeah, exactly. Please, <laughs> please, sir. As if boost my ski is any better, Jordan. No, yeah. reskeet me. Reskeet. Yeah, re- we're getting a skeet pile going over here. Can I get a reskeet? I can't my, even skeet yet. Only you guys can. <laughs> skeet. Yeah. I have to have an invite. We'll get you to in skeet. there so you can skeet. Thanks. <laughs> uh, but we, of course, anything, anything for you. <laughs> we we're ha- we have you here though. Because you've got money mindset, you're you're a hustle and grind, uh, success win entrepreneur mm-hmm. CEO. Yeah. You're someone who yeah. thinks about money, thinks about economics. It's a big week for money, which is very real because we're approaching the debt ceiling, and now mm. Congress has to act. And you know, traditionally, when when we've been in this situation, Congress will just raise the debt ceiling. It's happened time and time and time again throughout our lives, and. The opposition party or the the minority party, the party's not in the White House, will act like when they're in this situation, we have to do something about the debt. We have to do something about this. We can't just keep raising the debt ceiling and racking up all this national debt. So when Republicans uh, are in the minority or don't have complete control over Congress, they insist it is the time to cut social safety net programs. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're doing. They're trying to they or they their proposal is to you know slash SNAP benefits, uh, kick two million people off of Medicaid, cut all of these social safety net programs to quote rein in the national debt. Now, Jessica, you're somebody who thinks about the economy and thinks about uh, monetary theory. When you hear these arguments and when you see them, you know, parroted in the media, what do you want? viewers readers you know political 
followers, whomever, to understand about these types of moments and why a you know a, a Republican platform of trying to cut social safety net programs is not going to address this quote problem. Yeah, uh, I would want everyone to know that it's all bullshit. Uh, first and foremost, but I want them to also know why it's bullshit. So the debt ceiling has been raised. I believe the correct figure is 78. It's over 70 separate times since 1960. That's a lot of times. Nothing bad has ever happened, right? We've never defaulted. Uh, and why is this time different? It's not. That's the simple answer. Uh, people like Warren Buffett, who is a billionaire, Berkshire Hathaway, people like Alan Greenspan, former chairman of the Federal Reserve, many different people uh, who have been on the side of capital are not radical progressive economists by any means. Uh, they have said that it is impossible for the United States government to not make good on their promises to pay out securities, government uh, treasury bonds. They will never run out of their own currency. They can simply issue more dollars. They hit a button on a computer and the, the debt can be essentially paid off. That's how it works. Now, are there consequences uh, to everyone cashing in their treasury bond at the same exact time? Sure, there would be. Uh, that might put us in, in an inflationary time. Essentially, what a treasury bond is is a, a really secure investment. So you could put your money into the stock market and potentially get a higher return. Or you could say, you know, I'm going to put some money in a treasury bond and really guarantee the steady rate of return of like 2%, which is much lower than you'd expect if you were, you know, investing in, uh, you know, Wall Street, typical investments. But uh, it's guaranteed. So the way Buffett would put it is uh, we should never have a credit downgrade because it's literally impossible for the United States government to not make good on their debt because they are the ones who create the currency. They can just create it to pay it off. Their credit rating would be like a triple A. So the fact that there's an idea that default is a potential consequence or something that could happen in the near future is the most deranged and insane concept. Um, and it's literally a political tool for them to cut social safety nets. Why? Because they get a lot of money from lobbyists, uh, from their shares that they hold in companies when profit margins are high. And when people have a difficult time accessing food, accessing healthcare, meeting their basic needs, they're more willing to work longer hours and for lower wages because they're desperate to meet those needs. Uh, that's basically the game. And it's been a, a big game they've been playing for far too long. Other countries don't have debt ceilings. They don't come up with this imaginary number. You know, we can't put more dollars into the economy than X. So it's insane and it's bullshit. Well, and like you're pointing out in America, it only really became a partisan issue like quite recently. Um, and I think it's interesting how kind of like fiscal conservatives have made this kind of argument. And I think the media has also mm -hmm. been a big part of this, of talking to people about the economy and making this analogy that, well, it's just like your family budget. And when you're overextended here, then you've got to take mm -hmm. out loans here. And when you don't have enough to pay, but the government is not like a family budget. It is not like that at all. That analogy makes no sense. Um, if you had a money printer in your basement and you could just in create money in your home, maybe that would be more of a similar analogy, but there's no connection whatsoever. But People try and like dumb down these economic concepts to make people understand this idea that no, oh, we're we're too in debt to pay for these to pay for schools or to pay for food stamps or whatever social programs. But it's a completely useless analogy um, that's it's totally mis misrepresents the way that the government and the state works and the way the economy works, right? Yeah, yeah, it just doesn't apply. The government is not a household when it comes to, to money. And the main difference between like when I need some extra cash and let's say I don't have it, my option is uh, to take out a loan, to go into debt, whether I have a credit card or a bank loan. It's money that I get from somewhere else that I have to pay back. That's how a household budget works. So when we hear the word deficit, we think, oh no, like Uncle Sam's going to knock on my door and like, ask me for this money that they have to pay back to who? Where did the money come from in the first place? Uh, because the government's a currency issuer, we are not. We can't just say, I need more money. I'm going to make it myself. The government can. And they're tasked with managing the money supply. 
They can do that well, or they can do that poorly, but nevertheless, they can spend more if they deem it necessary. They can afford to make good on all of their promises. And when they decide what to cut, it's very different from how we decide what to cut because our income is very concrete. We know how much money we're making. We have to work more to make more money. Their revenue and expenditures operate in a very different way. Uh, So they can issue bonds uh, to fund public programs. They can also simply just press a button and the dollars exist. Uh, The U.S. government has the power to put new money into the economy without issuing bonds, without uh, having to go into debt. Bonds are basically interest-bearing dollars that some people might want to have. And Obama, when he was stumping, would make it seem like, we go to other countries and ask them for money. He says that the U.S. government took out a credit card with the Bank of China and your grandchildren are going to have to pay for it. Now, foreign countries have a vested interest sometimes in holding American dollars. There are a lot of people who live abroad that want American dollars and might want, you know, treasuries. They might want to buy these securities. That does happen. Is the entire deficit Uh, money that we owe to other countries? No, absolutely not. And so there's so many lies and there's so much confusion, but really the one constraint to government spending is, is this money going to put real productive resources to use? And Alan Greenspan actually would say this as well. And he is a, a pretty conservative former Fed chair where the one concern we have is, are those dollars going to be able to purchase things, uh, going to be able to purchase things of value. Uh, How do we resource the spending? Are we putting dollars into the economy that are not going to put more people to work, more tools, land and machinery to use and grow the economy? Uh, So that's really the main concern that we should be making. This story that they tell that I think McCarthy told recently on the House floor uh, that you would be irresponsible if you were doing what the U.S. government is doing uh, financially but that's not at all what's going on. The deficit's like a record of every dollar that has been put into the economy that hasn't been taxed back out yet. So to eliminate the deficit would mean, where are the dollars? There are none. It's necessary to have dollars in the economy. So their red ink is our black ink, as Stephanie Kelton puts it. Kelton's book, The Deficit Myth, really helped me understand how deceptive the right-wing messaging is. Oh, there you go. Yes, nice product (laughs) placement. It's great. And it really helped me understand how deceptive the right-wing rhetoric is around the deficit because the Republicans like to make people think it's just like your household budget. And reading that book really helped me understand that, no, it is not. We all don't have a, you know, neatly divided slice of the pie that we are personally responsible for. Mm -mm. And ultimately... From her perspective, a modern monetary theory perspective, it's all just kind of bullshit because money is fake and we could just print more money. And it's it's much more fluid than Republicans, especially in scenarios like this, want you to think when it comes to funding the military. There is no there is no concern for how much what the money supply is or how what our national debt is or the deficit is. That's all fine. Every military budget is inadequate to the Republicans. But I also found it funny that in these debates. One of their proposals is to slash veteran spending by like 20%. And this is, you know, these are people that they love to use as, you know, propaganda tools and talk about how thankful they are for their service. But in in this moment, they're trying to cut veterans benefits. People who, to them, pay the ultimate sacrifice, serve their country, whatever, put their, put their life on the line when these fucking freaks won't. And this is their, this is their way of saying thank you. When veterans benefits, look, for better... I, I've made my thoughts in the military quite clear over the years. But if that's something you want to do, that's your right. You should at least get covered and get taken care of by that government after your time in in the military. But even for the people in the party that love to pander on military issues, they won't they won't do it. They're they're trying to cut these benefits, which is just really uh, encapsulating of how disingenuous that party is. Yeah, absolutely. And also, when you just compare $842 billion for the Department of Defense, hasn't Pentagon hasn't passed an audit in five years. And what do they want to do with SNAP benefits, which, by the way, is $113 billion, pale in, pales in comparison to when we look at defense spending. What do they want to do? They want to make sure you have a job, you're working for X amount of hours every single week in order to be eligible 
for SNAP benefits, commonly known as food stamps. That's insane when the Federal Reserve's explicit mission right now is to decrease employment numbers. So not only are you going to make it more difficult, you're going to uh, damp down on what's going on in the economy and make it so that there are less jobs available because it's more difficult to take out a loan with the bank because it's more expensive less people start businesses, less people invest in businesses. They want there to be less jobs because their working theory is that this will bring inflation down, which has never been proven in the data. And we know that there's ulterior motives there. And it's like, you want to make people unemployed and then you're going to take away their ability to eat. That is what the U.S. government under McCarthy is doing right now. Yeah, that's good for the economy when that happens. Um it's it's actually just using that kind of language it just shows how completely sociopathic some of these uh economists are when you actually get dig into like what their ideas actually mean in terms of human beings who are not just like numbers on a spreadsheet but like living breathing people who have like needs and need to eat and need shelter and take care of their kids and education and all these things extremely extremely sociopathic people yeah. um it's actually mm-hmm. kind of fascinating to me i mean one kind of narrative that we've been looking at over the last couple of years. And, and there's been a few times where it felt like there is this kind of populist thread in the conservative movement that wants to increase the social safety net rather than decrease it. And we've been wondering for a while, is there going to be this kind of transition when these neoliberal Democrats get kind of lapped by these uh, reactionary conservative movement that actually wants to increase people's uh, benefits and social safety net? Certain people's obviously and certain outgroups. No. Um, and it's amazing how, like, even when with COVID, when under Trump, there was this kind of uh, and more of a genuine social safety net in America was erected that hadn't really existed prior to that with the child tax credit and the unemployment benefits that were genuinely, like, transformative and life-changing for millions of people. And it's amazing to me that not only that that all got rolled back under the Biden administration, but that Republicans haven't clued in that, like, that's a winning message that they can like go after them on that and work to restore those benefits. But they're so wedded to this ideology of austerity and fiscal conservatism that they're, they're really trying to take away like from, from the people that really have the least in society and just instead fixating on these culture war issues, trans women in sports and these things, which a lot of normal people like don't care about normal people that are trying to survive and try to get by. Um, so it's just, it's incredible to me, not only how Democrats have bungled that, but about how there is this opportunity on the right to kind of, even as a completely cynical ploy to gain power, but they're so wedded to these very reactionary politics and, and fiscal conservatism that they just can't do it. Yeah, it's, it's so true. Uh, and understanding like that the neoliberals in both parties are, are, and have been pushing for privatization of public goods that should be funded by the government. Uh, and using the debt ceiling as this tool, as this bargaining chip for this big game of chicken where they can just push more cuts and more austerity. Uh, now that it's come around again, we're really getting to see who's on the same team in this fight and who's on a different team. And watching the interview with Eric Trump when I believe it was him and McCarthy Uh, But him and one of the more neoliberal members of the Republican Party, uh, not one of the the members of the hardcore Trump faction. But Eric Trump said, we can't cut Social Security like we're not cutting Social Security. Right. And it was a, a pivotal point in this conversation where it's like we're establishing that that this is not on the table. And I wasn't expecting to hear that from someone like Eric Trump. But there's this interesting brand of right-wing populism where they're defending public goods, things that really matter to working people. Of course, I don't believe their their motivations are pure. I don't think they really want to live in a society that's built for everybody to flourish and live happily. I think they're probably doing it as a way to claw back some political power and support. But then what are we going to do as the people who want the economy to work so that we can meet our material needs uh, and not So it's not run for the benefit of these people who want to experience endless profits and privatize things that we really value. Privatizing things like Social Security would mean everyone has, you know, their own retirement fund with Vanguard or what have you. Like they really want to just keep clawing all of the economic resources in our society and keep them in their grasp. And they are keeping us divided, as you said, 
on these other social and cultural issues. And it's like, are we going to have to be so starving and desperate for housing, healthcare, food, and our most basic needs that we just withdraw and start from scratch and everybody just says, okay, we're not working for you anymore. Uh, we're going to start this thing over again. I don't, I don't think it's ever going to get to that point. I think it's more likely uh, that people don't even realize the two-party system is as big of a problem as it is. And these culture wars end up making people get violent before any economic motivation does. Well, let, let's, let's get into your new show and how you help people better understand these issues. Yeah, Your everyone's show is gonna called... listen to the podcast, and That's they right. will realize what's going on. <laughs> yeah, everyone will be a a economic policy expert. Drop out of college right now. Immediately <laughs> go to your podcast in the whatever podcast player you're using right now. Go search for Funny Money, hosted by yes. Jessica Burbank and Andres Bernal, and subscribe right now. Jessica, tell us more about Funny Money and what people will find on this show. Yes. So it is a podcast on the economy, how it works and how it can work better, really breaking down in simple terms, like no nerdy political background or economic knowledge needed. How our economy works in this country, literally, uh, descriptively, with no bias, just what is happening. Uh, and then on top of that, OK, it seems that things aren't functioning well right now. Most people would agree on that. What are the policy uh, possibilities for how it can work better? Uh, why are interest rates being raised? What's the actual consequence of that? And what's the working theory of why they're doing it right now? Uh, talking about how government spending can work differently and what the real constraints to spending are. Do we have an unlimited credit card? No, the U.S. government can't just put infinite dollars into the economy and expect no consequences. So when does inflation actually become a problem? Really having those conversations so that when people uh, hear things on the news about the economy, instead of waiting for an analyst to tell you what's going on, having that knowledge and being able to take in the information yourselves uh, and having criticisms of it. And so I think that's super powerful. K through 12, we should be teaching economics. You should already be able to do this. So this podcast is like a project so that everybody has the tools to understand the system we all have to live in. Uh, and hopefully, you know, make better political decisions, share that information with your families. Uh, and maybe, I don't know, one day we'll all be so critical of the Federal Reserve. We'll pick it outside and we'll oust Jerome Powell and we'll get someone good in there and everything will change for the better. But really, I see like uh, modern monetary theory as something we'll cover a lot because there's a lot of misinformation about it and about how fiscal policy can work and a lot about how money can work. A lot of people think just printing dollars is MMT and it's not. So from like a very nerdy, someone who studied policy and economics in graduate school, this is the next step. We know that the economy is not working well right now. Maybe there's something wrong with how we've understood and been teaching about the economy and I left grad school feeling that there was something missing and a lot of what Stephanie Kelton talks about and a lot of what these people who view the economy through this MMT lens teach on is that missing piece. It is that next step. It is in economic terms, a blueprint for how we get the things done that the progressive movement wants to get done. So that's the whole thing. I think your education point is a good one, Jessica, because I was in college during the financial collapse. And mm -hmm. I remember taking, uh, you know, a required econ class, my first one, because it wasn't taught in K through 12. And, you know, it was a, just basic supply and demand principles and talking about all like, you know, pricing and supply and demand and all these things. And I remember thinking, like, we're living in this moment right now where all of these people are struggling. People can't afford things, right? People are going hungry. People are losing their homes and thinking, looking at the world around me. And I was in Youngstown, Ohio. And we got really fucking hard during the financial collapse. Thinking, where is the, like any criticism of this system, of this model? And it, was, it, was, it wasn't present at all whatsoever. And I'm happy there are, you know, more uh, professors like Kelton who are doing it and more 
uh, education being done like you in your show to help people understand like what they're what they're even when you do take a class what they're teaching isn't necessarily right isn't isn't necessarily the best approach because there's solution to all these things people can't afford things or a company is just profiteering off of people oh well the market will correct itself a new competitor will come into the market and bring the prices down that's not what happens and we see that across the board in all these different industries we've seen time and time again just over the past couple years that entire industries will effectively collude to keep prices high. We saw it with oil and gas over the past couple of years. We saw it with eggs recently. We're seeing it across the board. This system does not fucking work. Mm-hmm. It's working for them. Yeah, a thousand percent. It couldn't be more true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just the way that economics is taught, I think it's just, you have people like when you're advocating for any like kind of social safety net or uh, state spending on these kind of things, and you have these like dipshits coming and saying, "Well, have you read? Have you studied Economics 101? You would know that this, certain people have to starve." And then, like, but it's like because this line meets this line, and that's what happens. But it's like it's a really kind of facile, and like I was saying earlier, kind of a somewhat sociopathic way of looking at the world. We used to, when you lose the sight of the fact that there's actually human beings uh, in in those numbers and graphs and and charts, and just like going back to what you're doing with your mm-hmm. podcast as well, I just think it is it is genuinely really vital to demystify some of these concepts for people. I think economics, like the way that it's taught and the way that it's spoken about in our media is so intentionally complex and complicated and difficult for people to understand, you know, and it's like that for a very specific reason, because if people realize like with in plain language, like the way that they're being completely screwed, um, they'd be a lot more upset about our economic system. Um, And then, but then you have these like, yeah, these, these, uh, economist uh, analysts that get invited on to you know CNBC or whatever, and they're basically these like monks that are interpreting these sacred texts and explaining them to people. Um, but ultimately, they're serving this role of like reinforcing this kind of uh, status quo, which is it's not working for most people, and it's it's working very well for the people that pay the fund the think tanks that these people are, are fellows at and these kind of things, and fund the and you know fund the the media outlets that they're talking on, but. Uh, that is absolutely screwing most normal people. Um, so I think demystifying mm-hmm. these concepts and making them less complex and easier for average people to understand without this like lens of being interpreted by these econ- economics 101 types, um, I think is a really important project. So I'm, I'm glad that you, you folks are doing that. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. Stephanie Kelton is like such a person... Uh, who is accessible to everyone. She's one of those people where you hear how she phrases things and it's like, oh, I get it now that you've said it in simple terms in this way. She can use the economic terminology, of course, right? She's a professor at Stony Brook. She is an academic, but she intentionally makes it so that her work is easily understood by the masses. Why? Maybe. Don't other economists do that? Isn't that they don't want you to understand what their perspective and motivations are? I think that's exactly right. So that's why Stephanie's our first guest, because she really breaks everything down in such simple terms. She's such a good person to have for the intro episode. That's going to be out tomorrow morning, wherever you get podcasts. But then to your point about things being complex, uh, Rowan Gray who is a legal scholar out of Australia, who wrote a lot of the legislation around regulating crypto uh, about, you know, stablecoin. He wrote the Stablecoin Act and did this two years before the collapse happened, uh, was way ahead of his time with that legislation. But he always says that we have this perverse obsession with complexity and that for it to be true in economic terms, it has to be complex. And that's just not the case. Uh, and the fact that we do that makes the, the field more exclusive. Uh, it makes it so that, you know, even if you, you study in the field, you have to be a, a certain kind of person uh, to be respective and have your research read and heard. That's very true. But for the debt ceiling, he offers a really interesting solution, which is uh, the mint actually has the legal power to be able to just provide the currency Uh, And they could do that in this case. So there was a lot of talk about the $2 trillion coin that should be minted to fund the government to avoid a shutdown. Um, But it would be perfectly legal because this game of chickens suggests that if they don't raise the debt ceiling, either the president has to say, I'll decide what what we're going to end up funding. 
that's actually not in, in the purview of the president to do, according to the U.S. Constitution. They're not allowed to make budgetary decisions. They're allowed to sign off on it, but they can't allocate funding in certain ways. So either that, we have to break the law in that way, or Congress has to break the law uh, by spending more and authorizing this budget. Uh, or sorry, Congress will authorize the budget and then the Federal Reserve and the Treasury will be breaking the law by giving more money than the debt ceiling allocates, uh, having it not been raised. So the legal solution is, is the mint creates the money. And Rowan is so unpopular for saying that. He's been uh, really vilified. So excited to talk to him, uh, not next week, but the following. One other thing, not to belabor the point, but one other thing about the teaching of economics, especially in colleges, uh, this is something Charles Ferguson revealed in his book, um, Predator Nation, and also his documentary Inside Job about the financial collapse is how Wall Street and other financiers and big banks will influence the teaching of economics uh, through like textbooks and paying for studies for you know to give basically for these professors to write reports, studies, papers that give them favorable outcomes to what they're doing. Hey, deregulating credit default swaps and derivatives that's good for the economy. Here you go. Here's a blank check. Go write this paper. Uh, all of this deregulation, and I think it was Iceland that ended up being like really calamitous after you know after everything started to crumble. The authors who were paid to write this you know paper in favor of deregulation uh, later tried to go back and change the title on their CVs, and it's just like time and time again. These people are taking all this money to give speeches at different big banks and then are going into these classrooms and talking about why everything the banks are doing is great. Everything Wall Street's doing is great. It's really, really corrupt. Um, And I think that speaks to, in part, why you're not getting any other alternative economic theory taught in a vast majority of college classrooms. Yeah, that's true. It's important we get really real about why that's what's taught in the classrooms. Um, it's, it's so true, especially in research labs too. Uh, so that's what I was doing before the Bernie campaign was working in these research labs with behavioral economists doing randomized control trials and data-driven analysis of policies. And there would be uh, these funders that are billionaires and uh, they would say, all right, we want you to run a randomized control trial where some kids who are eligible for, uh, you know, they get a, their eligibility is determined by, they have a high score on the practice SAT and we'll take those kids and we'll give them gift cards for like $20 to Dunkin' Donuts and Walmart and wherever, uh, every time they complete college readiness steps. So looking online at schools, uh, every time they practice for the actual SAT. And we'll see what the difference is between these low-income students who score well on the PSAT 10. Uh, We'll see who gets into college and who doesn't based on this. Making the assertion through this, uh, you know, hypothesis that they're not saying, but it's very clear that maybe low-income intelligent kids are lazy and that's not why they're going to college. They just don't have the incentives to do it. It's like, that's not the barrier to entry to getting higher education in the United States. Do you know how much it costs and what the minimum wage is? It's like, you can't give kids a gift card and expect them to go to school. But if you're a behavioral economist and you want funding to be able to do research, you kind of take the money where you can get it. And if they say, this is what we want you to look into, that's what you have to look into. And it shapes the entire narrative of what policies are pursued in the United States and what is true and what is not. It's sad. Yeah. It's <laughs> but that's sad. why we have yeah. the Funny Money Podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's also true that everybody studies like microeconomics, like business economics, and thinks they understand the whole of economics without ever taking a macroeconomics class, which looks at the system as a whole. Well, Jessica, that's why, why don't finance you... fight with me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we appreciate that you're you're fighting the good fight against the finance bros. Someone needs to do it. These people need to be taken down a Thank peg. You, yeah. Um, yeah, the study of economics <laughs> generally is is not legitimate. It's not a legitimate field, as far as I'm concerned. Um, <laughs> that's my radical stance on that. Not a real thing. Yeah, it's fair to say. Yeah, um, but Jessica, why don't you let people know where they can find the Funny Money Podcast? Um, yes, Spotify, YouTube. 
Apple Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. Someone said Pocket Cast will try and get on there. But yeah, funny money all over those places. Friday morning, tomorrow morning, you'll be able to listen to it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jessica. Thanks, guys. It's always fun. The sports chat was fun, too. I wanted to just do sports the whole time. That was great. Yeah, we can do another one after the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, we should, we'll check it back just, in. I'd love more hockey talk, but yeah, I'll do what we can. <laughs> I'll watch hockey for you, Jordan. Also, you. Jordan, congrats on What's the up? engagement. Thank you. Yeah. Very excited. Oh, boy. Very, very relieved it's over. <laughs> That's, That's so very cool. stressful. Yeah, we're, we're getting into that in the opening. Um God, it's okay, yeah, sorry. it's stressful. Full circle. It's oh no, it's okay. <laughs> it's stressful. It's, just, it's so fucking stressful. It's to plan the wedding now. I mean, I'm sure that's going to be stressful, but <laughs> do you want to keep you want to keep the you want to keep the engagement a surprise, you know? Mm-hmm. And like it was a month of planning. Yeah. And just the stress of slipping up and giving it away like kept literally kept me up at night. Was she surprised? She was. Okay, good. So that that that's the that was the relief. You won. You did it. I did. Yeah, I defeat. I you defeated my fiance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for joining us. Take care, You're such go. a good schemer in the most wholesome way. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at InsurgentsPod. Tweet at us, harass Ken in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. <laughs>